All right. So we did a podcast episode uh, back in March when this uh, whole thing with the COVID-19 was actually happening and evolving in front of us. And in fact, we weren't even shut down yet. Um, I think it was a day or two before Utah Jazz uh, forward Rudy Gobert got it. Once he got it, world sort of took notice. Sports world kind of came to a screeching halt. And then the rest up to this point is history, unless you've been living under a rock. Uh, regardless of which part of the world you're from, you know exactly what the hell has been going on with the COVID-19. And the biggest issue, hurdle, challenge that we did face and will continue to face as September rolls around August for some other parts of the country. But back to school. And what is that going to look like? When I did that podcast uh, back in March when this was first happening, no, number one, school wasn't even mentioned. I don't think the thought of school closing ever actually crossed my mind. And I'm not sure if you guys would agree with that or not, but it, it certainly never did. I figured they would have some time off out of school. And then it turned into April and then it turned into May. And then, then, you know, once you hit May, I was like, oh, my God, like they might not go back. Because at that point, you're talking six, seven weeks of school left. Less for some people, especially the kids down south. I know they typically start in August. They get out a little earlier as well. Um, it's just kind of doom and gloom. It was over. That was it. And now we have September rolling around, August rolling around, and the kids are going to have to uh, resume learning. So what in the hell is that going to look like? And quite frankly, it's a little bit scary. Um, so we belong, then this, you know, we belong to the biggest school district uh, in our city of Rochester, New York. Uh, the Greece Central School District is by far the largest. There are four high schools in the district. And uh, I believe they are all full. <laughs> it, it, and that's that's real. So what it looks like, we got our email. First of all, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be challenging. I've had several conversations with colleagues that are parents. You know, those of us that are professionals, we work our careers. What are we going to do? What is this going to look like? And apparently the district has to submit their plan, if you will, plan, solution, whatever, to the state. Sometime in the first week of August, as I was listening to uh, the John DeTulio show, a local radio show here in Rochester on the drive back home the other day uh, from account visits. So that's what it was. That's what that's the information that I got. First week of August, they have to have their plan submitted to the state. And then you would think by like, oh, I don't know, the following week, the state would say green light, red light, yellow light, whatever the hell the answer is going to be. And what that's going to look like. Um, so we all got parent surveys. And first and foremost, per these surveys, to me, it doesn't really look like uh, full-time school, at least for the remainder of this calendar year 2020, which I hate to wish my life away, but this year can go. Um yeah, so I don't see them being full-time physically in the buildings again until at least 2021. Um, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. But we have a district calendar, and I have it pulled up right now so I can give you some real-time information off of that. Um, but the surveys that we filled out were basically all suggestive of partial schedule, uh, almost comparable to like a college block scheduling. So we had the option of, you know, would you rather little Tammy and little Jimmy went to school 
uh, physically Mondays and Wednesdays, did virtual learning on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which this will be different than the way we concluded this previous school year where the parents were pretty much running the show, um, trying to keep their kids focused and motivated on the schoolwork. That's unprecedented. So I give the school a, a mulligan. And uh, they've been working on this since it happened. So since they kind of got thrown into the fire, they've been evolving. And the minds and the superintendents uh, and the teachers union, you know, they kind of have been trying to push forward, if you will, and figure out, you know, how they're going to evolve. Because I think in the back of their minds is you're concluding the school year, you know, that's June. And then September is really not that far away. Summer break is eight weeks. And, you know, this thing seems to have some teeth as far as sticking around. So um, it's definitely going to screw some things up. So, again, the options, you know, little Jimmy, little Timmy, they can go to school Mondays and Wednesdays physically, remotely, Tuesdays, Thursdays. Every other Friday they would go to school and then learn independently. So independent learning would mean that it would be back like we had the previous year. Um, as, as to, um, to understand it, how I read it, where the kids will be, you know, sort of in control of their own destiny that day. And the teachers will actually be using that day to keep planning uh, the next couple, the next two weeks out. Because basically every two Friday, every other Friday, they're getting a day off the plan. So not day off. That's a bad way to put it. They're working. Trust me, this is a mess. So I'm again, I'm talking from the perspective of a parent in the largest school district in the respective city. Um so they would do something like that. Some of the other ideas, because, again, these schools are full to capacity. Like my son goes to a school that has sixth grade all the way through 12 in it. Um, my daughter's about to do the same. Juliana, you heard her on the show before. And then my other daughter is still in elementary school. Jake and Juliana actually are going to be going to different schools. Um, there is school of choice in this district. And if you get selected, that's where you go. So she wanted to be a Titan, not a Spartan. Sorry. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the situation at hand. And then as far as um, other ideas, I'm to understand that they're flirting with the idea of having middle school and high school be alternated. So if the middle school students are going to physically go, and again, this is your sixth, seventh and eighth graders. If they're physically going to go to school, say Monday, Wednesday, the high schoolers will be learning virtually that day and they will take that student population and actually spread it out across all the other classrooms. They would normally be filled with high school students. So, you know, maybe rather than a teacher speak into a room of 25 students, uh, 20 to 25 students, I find. At least that's what it was when I went to high school, guys. Again, I'm dating myself. I had my 20th high school anniversary last year. Um, and, uh, yeah, we had about 20 to 25 kids per classroom. Some classes were a little larger. Some were a little smaller. But that, that I'd say, was the sweet spot. So now you can maybe, you know, reduce class sizes to 10 to 12 kids. Uh, but in conversation with my wife last night, I said, what does that mean for teachers are you you know you would normally have one science teacher let's just use round numbers teaching a class of 20 for safety protocol reopening having physical school you want to reduce that class size by 50 percent so you want to drop it to 10 what do you do does that teacher i mean does that mean you need another teacher to teach it at the same time does that mean you have to stagger that specific? Because maybe maybe that means these teachers on their days don't have free periods. 
because I can remember teachers having a free period or two throughout the day. They'd catch up on crap. They get lunch, too. I mean, they're people. So it's it's an interesting conundrum. And it's going to be same with busing. Like they're talking about um, bus drivers picking up half the kids that they normally would. So this would mean what more buses are ultimately on the street. Um, you know, the survey itself that we did fill out, it came via email. Everything's electronic. I, I understand it had around 6,000 responses. Um, so the parents were actually very engaged. I'm actually disappointed it wasn't more, to be honest with you. But I'm pretty sure of those 6,000, those people, you know, they're really affected by this. So just to kind of give you an idea, give you perspective, these are the people, myself included, that wanted to take the time to let the district know from a, from a parent standpoint where you stand. You know, what are you comfortable with? Are you comfortable with your kid on the bus or are you yourself, the parent, going to pick up, drop off if you have the ability to do so? Um, Bus drivers, because again, like for teachers, this is a union. So this is going to get interesting. I, I, I got to imagine there's some teachers that are very hesitant to come back to work. Um, you know, we've got data out there to suggest kids are really not really affected by COVID-19. There's been a few exceptions, but more or less, they're just a giant Petri dish that would be asymptomatic and can pass it. So what if you're a teacher with, you know, diabetes, COPD, high blood pressure, any of these other things. You're out of shape, overweight, sorry, not to be mean, but these are, these are facts. These things compile, these things make an individual more uh, susceptible to the virus itself. So what do you do? Um, I'm digging in. I'm digging in and I'm preparing myself for worst case scenario. But, you know, this is just to give you a snapshot of the direction the district is going from you know scheduling how you're going to get them there um transportation school sports we'll talk about that in a second for fall sports they're affected the most i would say as of right now again this thing is uh this thing's dragged down longer and longer than you would think but you know this is the perspective so that survey covered a little bit of everything like you know how bad you're affected professionally what's this due to your career does this affect you greatly at work are you able to get work done if you're actually home with your kids on a virtual day? And you're looking at, you know, there's going to be every two weeks where they have three days at their home. They've got their two days physically going to school. They've got their two days learning virtual with their teachers. That's a, that's a good relief because at least that gives me wiggle room to evolve in my career a little bit. I'm going to be, you know, entertaining Zoom meetings with those that are willing to do it. <clears throat> and I, you know, I'm normally face to face. I've been able to get back out there the last couple of days. It's been great. But, you know, you either evolve or die, people. So, you know, do I take a mulligan that day? No. If I got clients that are willing to do Zoom meetings and we can do the inventory, maybe it's quick, maybe it's easy, maybe it's convenient. Hey, maybe it's fun. Maybe my kids act a fool in the background and we all get a laugh. So I don't know, but we're going to have to evolve. Um, you know, two working spouses is normally what it takes to make a family go around these days. So, you know, my wife and I are already discussing our game plan. You know, we're going to have to alternate. She can work remotely. Um, and again, I do have the ability to work remotely. But as far as keeping the appointment, having a sales meeting, typically it's been a little bit tougher. It's not as nice over the phone. It's not as nice over email. But a Zoom or a WebEx or whatever you want to call it, whatever platform you're using, could be... Uh, you know, virtually very personable. So going to have to figure out a way to make it work because it looks like that's going to be at least my September 
through the end of this year. Um, and, you know, my company professionally has been very gracious through all this. Um, you know, it is a family owned business and it shows uh, really taking care of their people. So much love and a lot of appreciation. Um, so we will get through it. But these are just some of the things that you're up against um, from a parent standpoint, from a scheduling standpoint, a work standpoint, all of it. Um, doctor's appointments right now. Simple, simple stuff. Two months it might take you to get, you know, your kid in for a physical at this point if you haven't done so already. Um, it's it's tight. Scheduling is tight. Everybody's trying to cram it all in. It has to be done. Um, there's parents that would have been typically proactive getting this stuff done April, May, June, while everybody else is sleeping. The volumes of the pediatricians wouldn't have been so high. But guess what? People didn't have that option. And if there was an option there, they weren't taking it for their own personal safety. So it goes goes without saying this is going to be a challenging year so before we conclude this segment of the podcast here just here's the district this is the district website this is the uh greece central school district.org org i should say so the fall sports guidance the offices of the new york state public high school athletic association voted to delay the official start of the fall 2020 sports season cancel the fall 2020 regional and state championships so regional I believe would be what we called sectionals when we were players. So basically these kids are going to have a regular season and that's it. All right. And it says, uh, prepare to implement a condensed season schedule in January, 2021. So they're going to, I don't know what that means if that's basketball, hockey. So if high school sports remain prohibited through 2020 due to COVID-19. So basically they're going to implement a condensed season schedule for January if sports remain prohibited for the remainder of this 2020 year. So, and again, with professional sports picking back up, your PLL, your Premier Lacrosse League, um, the NBA, the NBA is going to be picking back up. Baseball is getting back picked up. It's going to be really interesting to see. Um, people can discount sports, but they're a very interesting barometer in what's going on in society and culture. If these sports go out there and they actually plug away and they make it and there's no cases like the NBA just released data yesterday, they had zero positive uh, COVID-19 tests the other day because they live in this bubble now. They're all in the same hotel room venue buildings. They're all staying together. They're not going out. They're not leaving. So these guys are getting there, playing their physical sport, banging bodies, running around, dripping sweat, breathing on each other. If they keep coming back with zeros, that's going to speak well, not only for high school sports, but for anything else that I think is going on in the world, because people are going to look at this and go, okay, what are they doing right? Especially in these close contact quarters. So it will be an interesting barometer. I do believe. So that's kind of where we're at right now. You may have heard me mention that my daughter is back on the soccer field. This is a this is a travel soccer team. This is completely different. This isn't affiliated with the school. Um, there are regional guidelines that we have to follow as far as implementing safe play practices. Um, you know, players are limited to how many people can actually come watch them. They want two. Um, indoor facilities are absolutely mandated. Masks, outdoor facilities, it's encouraged. But if you maintain social distance, like if I'm outside and I'm six feet plus away from people, I'm going to breathe in some air. Um, that's my personal opinion. Um, I go into places, I put my mask on. Not for me, for you. 
Um, that's really my mentality towards it. I am not overly concerned about catching this thing, but I would hate to be asymptomatic and give it to somebody who was vulnerable. So I put my mask on to be polite, uh, but make no mistake, as soon as I get outside, that damn thing's off and I don't drive my car wearing my mask. Um, do my you know business at work, masks on. Um, no contact. I don't bring product in right now. You know, just some safety protocols that you got to take, uh, for example. But yeah, they all follow safety guidelines. Um, you know, if anybody's feeling sick, you stay home. Um, you know, and they're paying attention. They social distance, parents social distance. You know, and I'll be honest, you haven't seen people in a while, so it's hard not to congregate towards one another. But that's the direction it's going. It's going to be a challenging fall for parents. Um, I would say buckle up and just communicate with each other. Don't get angry. This is everybody now. Nobody. That's, that's my biggest advice. It's not even really advice. It's just a, it's a message of, hey, you're not alone. Everybody's going to be swimming in the same water with this. There's a lot of work in families, a lot of work in parents. Don't snap on each other, your spouse, your significant other, whatever. Stay in this together because this sucks for everybody, guys. This is going to be a challenge. This is not going to be easy. You evolve or you die. If you've got some good ideas, if you've got something that's working in your professional life or your family life, please get on over to the Northern Exposure. You can get me on Instagram. You can get me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Drop me a message. Let me know what's up. Let me know what's working. Share your secrets with the exposed ones. You might become the next Master Yoda. Listen, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and I've got a couple other things I'd like to dive into. A special guest of mine will be coming up, and uh, I want to let you know what she's getting into. She'll be on the next recording, which is actually going to be tomorrow night. i take a quick break, guys. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. So it's, it's funny. I'm going to start maybe predicting the future here. But as we went to break, um, you know, in the top half of the show, the top segment, we were talking about the back to school, just giving you some parent perspective on this. And as we were on break, my wife informed me that the email had come through from the school district that it is going to be the hybrid learning uh, educational model, two days physically in school three days uh, remote and uh, it looks like that's going to be finalized as far as which days are in attendance and which days are remote that is unclear I can almost guarantee that Friday is going to be a remote day for most if not all and then you do have parents that uh, have a couple more oh where's the timeline here bear with me folks there's a timeline here uh, Email parents if you would like to enroll your children in 100% remote learning. And it looks like student placements should be on July 31st. So this is a mess. They're going to be reaching out again on the 31st of July with more information. I will give kudos to the school district for a phenomenal amount of communication. I mean, this is not unusual anyway. As I said at the top of the show, I've got three different kids in three different schools and the hugest, largest school district in Rochester. Um, so now it's the point where I get three different phone calls every day. There's usually like just an update, what's going on in the school community, things of that nature. Emails come through all the time. Um, so communication-wise, it's been good. It's just none of the news has actually been that good uh, as of late. And, you know, my kids obviously are interested in what's going to go on, and my son is very vocal about this, and he's happy that there's at least a little bit 
of uh, going into school. He wouldn't be one for 100% remote learning. He even told me the other day, he's like, I'll just drop out and get a job. Uh, what's the point of going to school if you're not really going to school? And I get it because I don't think the younger kids like the older kids are designed Maybe it's self-discipline, maybe it's just developmental with the age and the mental maturity, whatever the case may be. But I did find we got to live it from March on to the end of this school year, and I did find that the remote learning did turn into a nightmare. Now, to be honest with you guys, the nightmare might have been that Mr. North, me, the teacher, <laughs> isn't actually a guy with a master's degree in education. I'm an optician, so we could talk about refraction different lenses and optical products and things of that nature but you know some of this stuff it's i would need to brush up on it a little bit and quite frankly again three different kids three different ages three different schools now last year i had two and one and one in another but this year all three will be in different places and uh We'll just see how it goes. Buckle, buckle up, exposed ones. That's the uh, that's the update on the school, at least for our district, and what we've got going on. Um, again, every place is a little bit different. It kind of depends on your own individual states and what kind of moves that the education departments are going to make for you and things of that nature. So, again, I love feedback on the Facebook page, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Northern Exposure get at me. Let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods as uh, we parents do the best we can to navigate this. And again, it's interesting. We started off the show just kind of giving the back to school parent perspective, what's going to happen, what we think is going to happen, what things have looked like. And uh, here we go. I go on break and we get some emails and we get an answer. So they were ahead of the game on that one. Um, So we're just going to do our best. as I said on the top of the show, you really have to work with your partner and your spouse if you're fortunate enough to have one. Um, you know, my thoughts immediately always go to the single parents. Um, this could be hard. Uh, divorced couples, this could be hard. I know people that they're divorced and spouse lives in a completely different county or state. Um, you know, it's it's just not, it isn't every other weekend or whatever the uh, child custody would be there. So there's definitely going to be some challenges. And I think you're going to see some parents and kids that will take the 100% remote uh, educational route. It could be the older kids. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who that's going to extend to, if there's going to be a cutoff on that. Because I personally, I think with elementary school, that shit's just too hard you know, on the parents to have that kid there, because if it's elementary school, you're usually talking about kids that they absolutely are not old enough to be home alone. You know, I'm lucky having a kid that's on the cusp of getting into high school. He's relatively mature, you know, Boy Scout, all that stuff. Um, Great relationship with the neighbors. She runs a daycare. She's always home. So I have those luxuries. I have those pieces of mind. Um, In fact, she does daycare for my youngest one. So It's a great relationship. She's like a friend, like a sister, less like a neighbor. Um, So it makes my life a little bit easier. I understand that's not the case for everybody. Um, We're also lucky, too. My wife and I talking last night. My in-laws were both retired. Um, Ideally, they would go down to Florida after the holidays and stay there till about April. Um, But, you know, that is another thing to be determined. And uh, they have offered to help out a couple days, too, because with three days being home, you know, it's going to be a challenge. It's, you know, 
we were hoping for maybe one day each day in home. Now you're going to have weeks that are odd where one of us might have to eat it twice unless an in-law can step up. Um, and that's going to be tough on me. I'm in sales, so that's going to be tough on me. So if you're a client of mine and you're listening, you're going to be getting an email or phone call from me just exploring the prospect of virtual meetings and what your take is going to be on that for at least the remainder of 2020. God, I hope this is over by 2021. Um, so I wanted to get into that. I, wa I really wanted to get into the coronavirus, um, just what's been going on. And uh, I get a lot of uh, my knowledge lately from Mike Rowe. Now, you know, you might know Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs um, on Discovery Channel. And he's just honestly one of, one of my favorite human beings. Um, his claim to fame is he'd started this show called Dirty Jobs. And he gets right in there. It's on Discovery Channel. And he basically shows you the blue collar jobs, a.k.a. dirty jobs, like he was in a septic tank the other day. He's done everything from wrapping boats to working on farms. But what he's trying to show younger generations is that there is a lot of value in blue collar work. This is a section of the job industry that I think over the last 20 to 25 years with the push in higher education has actually been completely ignored. Um, and that's one of those things that Mike Rowe uh, really tries to drive home to the forefront. When I worked in construction back in the day, when I lived in Virginia, I was a young man. So you're going back 23, 24 years old, almost 16, 17 years ago, working in the trades. I was a painter. We did some small scale carpentry. I even got into fireproofing for a little while. And if you don't know what that is, um, that's when you have everything up to fire code in these huge offices where multiple businesses or buildings or even schools anything anything with multiple rooms multiple people in it there's going to be fireproofing in between those walls so i'm the guy that would be stuffing in you know fireproof insulation uh fireproof caulking so if you had you know cuts in the drywall where you're running piping or you're running wiring we would actually take this red sealed fireproof caulking and we would actually caulk in that opening so that keeps the that slows down the spread of the fire flame can't reach through that gap find oxygen whatever the case may be it was a dirty ass job it was a dirty ass job it was hot it was uncomfortable you were never in a finished building dead dead middle of the summer in newport news virginia did most of the work in williamsburg and oh my god we were cooking but that's what Mike Rowe does. And he um, he's at, he had an interesting take on the coronavirus. And uh, I was just trying to find where it is because he was listening to this doctor. And he actually got hit with some criticism from a reporter. And I saw it on Facebook. So I'm going to try to find it here real quick. Um, but he had his take on the coronavirus, what he thought of it. And, uh, you know, he responded to this woman very articulately and uh i thought he did a good job he said you know listen i do worry about this coronavirus it's not that i don't take it seriously because the woman was actually challenging him like why do you feel uh during the mist during the middle of a pandemic that you need to be um you know doing your show and you know he was very polite and articulate to the reporter. So I think if you're a politician, you should take notes and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's how you answer a question. But he said, very matter of fact, he listens to this Dr. Uh, Olmstrom, Olmstern, 
And basically, uh, this doctor says, you know, it's going to be one of those things where we're not going to make this thing just up and disappear. Um, there isn't going to be some miracle vaccine for it. Uh, you're looking at probably, you know, when it's all said and done, 100 million cases, which is almost 33% of the U.S. population. And you're looking at about 480,000 uh, deaths. And Mike didn't downplay any of that. He didn't try to make any jokes, but he said, you know, I'm like anybody else. You know, when we get shut down, you start going stir crazy. You start to get the data. You start to get your news. You know, your health experts, your epidemiologists, uh, your virologists, all these guys. And this, this doctor that Mike likes is actually really, really well respected. Um, and he's basically saying, like, listen, this isn't going to go anywhere. Mike even said in his response that I have become comfortable with the fact that I am 33% likely to catch this virus. Um, and that's just the basic fact. You know, 480,000 people will probably die from this is Dr. Olmstrom's overall final number. So, you know, we're not even halfway there according to the coronavirus data that we've been getting. So Mike compared it to driving. Um, and he also held the media accountable for the fear that is stoking through uh, the world right now. He said, let's look at automotive crashes. And I think he said something like on average across the country, there are 16,000 motor vehicle accidents per day. Um, and of course, obviously, some of those are going to be fatal. And he said, imagine if every day on the news they said to you, and again, they're not lumping states, they're not talking specific cities, it's just overall America, how are we doing? We're a bigger country than we realize sometimes. I think that's my opinion. Uh, but Mike said, you know, how would it be? Well, how quickly would you jump in your car if every day news came on? 16,000 more car accidents with 1,100 killed today on American highways. Uh, eventually, you would be a lot less likely to want to jump in your car. Um, but as Mike said, you know, we are taking calculated risks. When you get in your car, you're taking calculated risks. During the flu season, if you choose not to get a flu shot, which, listen, I'll be the first one to tell you people, I don't do the flu shot. Not very often. The two times in my life I've gotten it, I've gotten sick. All the other times I haven't gotten it, I've been just freaking fine. So again, that's me. That's personal. That's my body. And we have to stop blanketing everything. Everybody's body reacts completely different. My cousin's kid can roll in poison ivy. She could freaking eat it. Nothing happens. I look at it. The wind changes direction, blows it towards me. I'm covered in it. So again, different. But I love the way Mike answered the question. There was no smug ass, you know, there was no condescend, you know, he wasn't being condescending. He wasn't putting the reporter down. He basically said, yeah, it worries me. It worries me no different than, you know, an automotive accident. It worries me no different than catching a cancer, catching the flu, catching pneumonia. But, you know, you come to a point where you've got the data, you understand the numbers, you look at it from a population standpoint, and he said again, he goes, there's something that I'm probably going to catch, and I'm 99% likely to not have any problems. You know, as far as, you know, I might get sick, I might be sick for a week, might be sick for two weeks, it might be an awful sickness. But as far as death goes, you know, as Mike said, I'm 99 plus percent likely in the event that I do catch it, which is more probable than not, that I'll be fine. So... 
we have to make a decision as, you know, conscientious adults, what are we going to do with this thing? Um, you know, we can't just stop all the time. I was listening to a radio show on the way home uh, from visiting an account yesterday and uh, the CARES program where they have that extra $600 incentive here in the unemployment. It goes away either at the end of next week or the end of the month, which actually the end of next week is the end of the month. So, you know, it is what it is. And the uh, the co-host, the female co-host was like, why? And the male co-host was like, well, they might be running out of money. <laughs> You know, there's that. So it doesn't just rain money. It doesn't just fall out of the sky. So ah, that's going to be a challenge, guys. That's going to be a huge challenge. And uh, I don't know, buckle up. Here comes school. So now we got to figure out what's going on with transportation. I do know there are bus drivers. Again, if you look at the demographic of your school bus drivers, parents, if you've been running around like mad, you got school age kids and you never actually paid attention to that shit. Find me a bus driver less than 30 years old. That is a small part of that population. You're typically dealing with retirees or people that do it as a part-time job, but these are typically older folks. Most of my kids' bus drivers, I'm going to say, are 45 years age and higher. Some are probably in their 50s and 60s. They've had gray-haired bus drivers. Not that gray hair means anything. I've got gray hair, but, you know, you match the description. You look like somebody that probably already had a full-time job for 25, 30 years. You retired. Now you drive a bus. It's a nice gig. Good money. You, you know your hours. You have your, you, know, you have your middle of the day. You have your end of the day, blah, blah, blah. I, my, one of my buddies, Fred Lenhart, he's been on the show. He was a bus driver and uh, seemed to like it. Again, he's a younger guy. He's my age. He's 40. So he actually seems young in that bus driver world. So there's got to be some challenges. Um, you know, forget sports for a minute. I know they're doing what they're doing with that. They're going to basically play regular seasons. You know, fall sports has been delayed. I can't imagine that for soccer players. As a soccer player, I'm feeling for you guys. You've usually got a handful of games under your belt before the school year even starts. Now you're not starting soccer till mid-September. How late does it go? Is it going into November? If it goes into November, get your mittens, get your leg warmers. It's going to get cold out there. And uh, if you're not if you're not playing – Soccer is a very cold sport just to sit and watch. You'd rather be running on that field for 90 minutes, I promise. So, again, it's going to get interesting. It's it's going to get interesting. So we buckle up, exposed ones. That's all we can do. We can buckle up. We can do our best. Um, I'm going to digress. I've got some more recording to do tonight. Good friend Stacy, I mentioned her um, at the end of the first segment. Her and I are actually going to be recording this evening and going to be getting that episode out to you. Uh, sooner rather than later. So she's going to be talking about beauty counter products and some of the FDA regulations in the beauty industry that I was actually unaware of. She actually emailed me this whole uh, thing, these facts, FDA involvement or lack thereof um, from a federal standpoint with the cosmetic beauty products on the industry. This is going to be some fascinating stuff. Ladies, you might want to tune in. I'm sure you're going to know, want to know what you're putting on your face. And uh, I'm actually learning some things here, too. There's a whole lot more than just brushing a little. What is it? There's a whole lot more than just making some smoky eyes here. There's chemicals in these products that actually could be dangerous. And uh, she's going to share with us what makes her product, the Beauty Counter product, a little more unique uh, as to what they do. So 
Looking forward to sitting down and talking with Stacy. That's going to be a lot of fun. The other thing we got coming up is we got uh, Michael Morris, aspiring filmmaker from Murder One Man TV. He's hosting a uh, benefit volleyball tournament right here locally, August 15th in Rochester, New York. And uh, yours truly will be podcasting and playing. And the goal is to raise money um, to fix up some of the, well, his father's church, I should say, to fix up his father's church that was hit during the protests and the riots here. Um, we also... You know, trying to raise money for the film, get that up and going. And Michael was ambitious. He was hoping we could raise enough money to, you know, make a donation to the police department or try to replace a police car or two that got destroyed in the fire. But I think we're going to have to, uh, you know, have a good time, bring the community together and do a little meet and greet. I know Rochester Police Department has a team. I'm really excited to get in there and have a chance to get some firsthand perspective from some of these officers. And with any luck, yours truly will get to Chief Singletary, assuming he is there. And uh, I would love to pick the Chief's brain. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to pick the Chief's brain. But if I can move into position to do that, guess what? Once this mouth starts moving, we talking, baby. So we'll see what happens. But I'm hoping to get there, get some officer perspective, get some first responders perspective, and just a great event that Michael's putting on. The unity is the mission. That's it. It's you come with you come in love. You come in peace. And let's let's put this let's put this puppy to bed and become better and be who we know we are. So again, so that's the back to school. Parents buckle up. Employers, if you're listening, if you own a business, if it's a small business, a big business, this and that, it's it's show and prove time. Um, you can't be you can't be a jerk in this situation. Parents are stressed out enough. Um, you know, kids come first, family comes first. Uh, and this is going to be difficult. I know there will be people that are impacted to the point where they are possibly looking for something else to do. And, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then employers are going to be have to be careful. I mean, what if you've got 60, 70 percent of your you know roster is a parent? So it could be less, could be more. And, you know, it depends on everything. Um, my company, again, I tell you, they're gracious. Um, and then the truth came out a little bit later. They said something like 70% of our sales force actually carries the benefits for their families. And that's why it was so important for them to not furlough us, not lay us off, figure out some sort of compensation package that can make a sales professional say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grind this out with you guys. They did a great job. My company did a great job. It's Silhouette International. I've mentioned them on here before. Handmade eyewear out of Austria. They did a great job. Um, is it is it because they're an Austrian company? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I think it has more to do with being family owned and operated and I'm the third generation of owner now. As my uh, former owner is uh, Arnold, his son Michael took over. So I think that has a lot to do with it too. Um, but I digress on that. Uh, good things coming. Again, our good friend Kevin Growth, Nature's Little Helper, stores coming along nicely. Um, and with any luck, the actual physical store will be open by August 1st. So he's super excited about that. I know he bought his big TV for that place. So it's coming along nice. Paint's going on. Paint is all done and he's got the floors going in. Ah, I believe today. I believe today. 
And of course, you know, he's got his online presence too. So you guys can always get at him. Check him out. Nature's little helper. I know Freddie, I know Freddie Linhard just gave him a big shout out. He's been working out like crazy. He got into some of those raw honey products, really good for muscle recovery or so I'm told. That's Freddie's area. He's the health man. He's the coach. He's the uh, licensed fitness and health instructor, not me. I just, uh, I pick things up and I put them down. <laughs> so, all right, exposed ones. Listen, be well out there. Do something nice today. Start that positivity ripple. Uh, affect someone's life in a positive way. And then they in turn are likely to go do the same thing. And you could spread a lot of love today with one very simple act. Y'all be good. Stay tuned for the next episode with Stacy. We're going to be talking about some beauty, uh, beauty counter products. And she's going to get into some of the... Uh, the meat and potatoes of the cosmetic industry and some of the things that you need to know. All right, y'all. Until the next time, be good. All right, little bonus content here for you, everyone. I was trying to find uh, Mike Rose' response to Darlene uh, Gibbon, or Gibbon. She's uh, the reporter that asked him a question. And I butchered that doctor's name. It's Osterholm, and he is the Director of Infectious Disease Research and Policy. Um, so here it is, word for word. This is uh, the Mike Rowe. This is the question and Mike Rowe's response. So it says here, Mike, in a recent post, you said you have been to Tennessee and Georgia giving speeches and filming for your new show. Before that, you were on the road shooting for dirty jobs. Is it really so important to film a television show in the midst of a pandemic? Is it responsible of you to encourage this kind of behavior when infection rates are spiking? Don't you watch the news? More and more cases every day. Aren't you concerned? So that was the question uh, from Darlene to Mike. Mike's response, and again, I thought it was very articulate and very professional. And some politicians on both sides, donkeys or elephants, should take some freaking notes. He says, hi, Darlene. Of course I'm concerned, I'm just not petrified. On March 15th, the day after my part of the country was locked down, I posted a link to an interview with Dr. Michael Osterholm. I'm posting it again because I believe you and everyone else in the country would benefit from listening carefully to what he has to say. And then this is again on Facebook, um, the post, and he's got the link there, and it's just right on Mike Rowe's personal Facebook page, by the way. So that's Mike Rowe's page. Uh, Dr. Osterholm is a director of infectious disease research and policy. This is the same epidemiologist who 10 years ago predicted a coronavirus would come from China and turn our country upside down. In his book, Deadliest Enemies, he described the utterly irresponsible way in which the media would report on the situation, the completely opportunistic and shamelessly political way our leaders would likely react, and the unprecedented chaos and confusion that would arise from all the mixed messages from the medical community. His resume is unexampled, and he's got a link to his resume. And his analysis of the situation is the most logical and persuasive of any I've heard so far. He's also the only expert I know of who hasn't walked back his numbers, reconsidered his position, or moved the goalposts with regards to what we must do, what we can do, and what he expects to happen next. I say all of this because Dr. Osterholm also predicted that we could easily see 100 million COVID cases in this country with a very strong possibility of 480,000 fatalities, even if we successfully, quote unquote, flatten the curve. 
this is where it gets good. This is where you see Mike's human side. And this is where I think a lot of us are. Oops. And we're, uh, we're afraid to say that this is where a lot of us are. But uh, here it goes. It says, it took me a few weeks to accept this scenario because 480,000 fatalities is a frightening number. And a lot of other experts were saying lots of conflicting things. But eventually, I came to the conclusion that Dr. Osterholm was probably correct and quickly navigated the four stages of grief that usually precede acceptance, denial, anger, bargaining, and depression. By late April, I had come to accept Dr. Osterholm's predictions as a matter of fact. Since then, I've had three full months to come to terms with the fact that A, I am probably going to get COVID-19 at some point, B, I am almost certainly going to survive it, and C, I might very well give it to someone else. I hope that doesn't sound too blasé or glib or uh, fatalistic or selfish. 480,000 deaths is obviously a tragedy, and I'm deeply sympathetic to all those who have been impacted thus far. I am also very concerned for my parents and anyone else in a high-risk category. I feel like me and Mike Rowe are the same person. But when Dr. Osterholm says that COVID can be slowed but not stopped, I believe him. When he says a vaccine will not necessarily hasten herd immunity, I believe him. And when he says that flattening the curve and eliminating the virus have nothing to do with each other, I believe him. Thus, for the last three months, I've been operating from the assumption that this is a year-round virus that's eventually going to infect 100 million people and kill roughly half of 1% of those infected. So half of 1%. I've gotten used to those numbers in much the same way I've gotten used to the fact that 40,000 people will likely die on the highways this year. That's why I'm not panicked or surprised by tens of thousands of daily COVID-19 cases. I've been expecting them. Unfortunately, many others have not. Every day, millions of people watch the same breathless coverage by the same breathless journalists who seem determined to do all they can to foster uncertainty. And so, millions of people are still paralyzed by fear because they haven't been given a chance to digest the truth or what I believe to be the truth. Fact is, we can accept almost anything if we're given the facts and enough time to get our heads around them. But if we don't have an understanding of what's really happening, we simply can't get past denial and bargaining where so many seem to be stuck, understandably so. And I'm gonna stop there for just a second because I really think Mike is nailing this. I mean, I don't know him personally, but I feel like he's talking directly to me and a lot of the people I know with some of the conversations that I've had regarding this thing. So I'm going to continue. Imagine for a moment that you had no idea how many people <clears throat> would die in car accidents this year. Now imagine that every single accident, over six million a year in the U.S. alone, were reported the same way that every new COVID case is reported today. Imagine every day you were told in hysterical tones that another 16,000 accidents had occurred, resulting in another 90 deaths per day. What would you do? What would that do to your willingness to drive? Six million accidents is a lot of accidents, and 40,000 annual fatalities is a lot of death, especially if you don't know how high that number could get. But we do know the dangers of driving, and we've accepted those numbers. Consequently, we're able to make a grown-up decision about whether or not we want to assume the associated risk of operating a motor vehicle. Again, don't misunderstand. I'm not ignoring COVID, and I'm not pretending the risks at hand aren't real. I don't want to get this disease and give it to someone else any more than I want to be in a car wreck and hurt someone else. So I take precautions. I get tested often. If I can't get distance, I wear a mask. 
especially around higher risk people. I also wear a seatbelt, obey the speed limits, and check my mirrors before changing lanes. I'm aware that we'd all be a lot safer if we kept our cars in the garage. I'm also aware we'd be a lot safer if we all kept ourselves in the house. But that's not why cars or people exist. Anyway, Darlene, that's a long way of saying that I have accepted Dr. Osterholm's numbers. And now, after three months of acceptance, I've made a decision on how I wish to live my life. Sooner or later, you will too. We all will. Signed, Mike. P.S. My foundation is selling masks to raise money for our next work ethics scholarship program. They're going fast. And then there's a link uh, to that. So that was Mike Rowe's response. So I know in the top segment, I mispronounced the doctor's name and I was paraphrasing. Wanted to come back, give you all a little bonus content of exactly what Mike Rowe said. And that is on his Facebook page. I believe he posted that either yesterday or the day before. First time ever. Bonus content from Northern Exposure. Y'all be good.